Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jacqueline Machard is the author of A Very Inconvenient Scandal, a novel. Jacqueline is the author of 24 books of fiction and nonfiction for adults, teens, and children, with more than 3 million copies in print worldwide in 34 languages. They include The Deep End of the Ocean, the first selection of the Oprah Winfrey Book Club, a number one New York Times bestseller adapted for film by Michelle Pfeiffer, as well as The Midnight Twins in development by Kaleidoscope Entertainment for HBO. Her novels have won or been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction, the Bram Stoker Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, the Heartland Prize for Fiction, and the UK's Talk About Prize, and have included five New York Times bestsellers. Her autobiographical essays are widely published and anthologized. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It's time to discuss a very inconvenient scandal, a novel. 
Thank you for having me. That's as opposed to the kind of scandal that is very convenient for people. Yes, always. There's so many, so many of yes. them. <laughs> that you just don't mind, you yes. know, a little scandal. Yeah. The next book will be a very convenient scandal. And then yes, we can we can exactly. evaluate pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an inconvenient scandal, though, particularly as it hits so close to home. Why don't you tell listeners, uh, not for me, I mean for your characters, tell listeners what the story is about, how you came up with the idea for this book. Well, a version, and I, m- many stories are inspired by things that happen in one's real life. And though something that only vaguely resembles what happens in a very inconvenient scandal happened in my real life, it's very different. And of course, in fiction, we both intensify and correct the things that are historical. In any case, it's about a young woman who is an acclaimed underwater photographer who comes home to Cape Cod to announce to her family that she's going to have a baby and she's getting married and she never dreamed of doing this. And her 60-year-old widowed father, who is a well-known marine biologist, has a surprise for her as well. He is marrying her best friend. And that is just the first 25 pages. That's just the start (laughs) of all the mayhem that ensues as a result of that announcement. And it was inspired when I came home to the west side of Chicago one time to visit my father. And he said he wanted me, he was widowed for quite some time. My mom died very young. And he wanted to introduce me to his new beloved. And I walked into the house with two of my kids. I think I only had two kids at that time. And I met the woman and stared at her. And the reason that they call it double take is because it's literally what you do. Your head spins around. And I said, I went to high school with you. You're Barbara X. And she said, yes. And that was the beginning. I I realized that my dad was going to marry the kid next door. Oh my gosh. Indeed. Isn't and, that the, and did, did he did he marry her? Well, they became engaged, but unfortunately, he died. He had kidney disease and he died before the the actual wedding could take place, but they were a couple for a long long time and her children from I think three or four previous marriages, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Anyone can make a mistake, right? Moved in to the house that had been my dad's house. It was a very disorienting experience. Very disorienting. Wow. Well, I'm sorry about the losses of your parents, but wow, what what a crazy thing. I mean, my my mom's dad remarried someone younger than her. So my step-grandmother was younger than my mom. So I'm familiar with that relationship thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it is somehow I don't expect that from people, I don't know, of my sort, which is to say we aren't you know, in Hollywood, mm-hmm. we're we're just ordinary folk. You know, my parents were a shop clerk and a plumber, and it just seems like something that is very exotic to do. But I guess it's not. I mean, 
I don't know. But it still seems that like it ought to be for royalty or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Well, that's, in, I mean, it's interesting what happens because there's, I mean, not to give anything away, but later in the book, there is a moment where you're wondering if Mac is going to be okay or not. And it sounds like that echoes sort of what did happen. Right. So, interesting. Right. But, and and this book, I, I won't, I, it doesn't spoil anything to say that people find a way of negotiating new realities mm-hmm. in this book. And I never did. Mm. I never found, I don't know if I tried, didn't try hard enough, but I never found a way to truly negotiate those realities. Now, by contrast, my husband, his parents married when they were very, very young. I think they were 18 when they got married and they had children and then they parted. And he married a woman who was my husband's age. Okay, she still is my husband's age. (laughs) And they had a, a, a child together. And he was much more accepting and graceful, at least publicly, mm-hmm. than I was. And I just think, I it, I don't know. It depends on your temperature, the way that you, and of course, this is fiction. Right. And it it is the way that I would have wanted to explore real life if I had been able to. Mm-hmm. Do you do that ever? Do you take elements, cherry pick elements from life to put in your stories? I had something happen to me the other day and I'm literally in my head being like, should I do a whole novel around this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with this scene? Which was so funny that it, I have to write about it. So yes, I do that. I remember once being in one of those New York restaurants. I haven't been to New York in a hundred years, but in one of those little restaurants that it has like five tables Mm -hmm. and I was sitting at a table with my then agent and next to us, there was this impeccably beautiful couple. Perhaps they were in their eighties. I'm sure they were in their eighties and they had clearly been together for a long time. You know, she was offering him the tastiest bits from her plate and he was saying one thing and another. And All of a sudden, she slammed down her knife and fork on the table and she said, you should not say that. I have always honored your marriage. Oh, my gosh. And my jaw dropped. I could. They had been having that same argument for 50 years. Unbelievable. So that just proves that you don't stop wanting to howl at the moon (laughs) when you get old. Or something. Oh my goodness. Well, in the book, Ariel is not just a friend. She was essentially like another member of the family. And her own relationship with her mother, who is also a character in the book, is a very difficult one. And she really found refuge in this other more stable family, despite the mother having passed away and was almost raised by them. So it was almost. It was not just a high school friend, but almost like, you know, there was an example in the book where she was trying to explain to Gil, her husband, you know, why this was so, she's it's like, imagine this is your brother and this is what happens. Like, it's like, <laughs> ugh, gross, you know, so you can just hear that happening. But To be fair to Mac, the father who marries Ariel, he was never around. So he really, he was always on the road, traveling, doing his TV shows and discovering new species and saving ones that were on the verge of extinction. And so he really didn't 
participate as Ariel. He barely noticed his own children. Mm -hmm. And so he really didn't notice Ariel until she came to work for the foundation that he represents the saltwater foundation. And so I don't want people to think of him as any more of a, as a pervert. No, <laughs> along, no, no, no. He, along with a, yeah, yeah, I know. But I just wanted to hasten to add that, you know, he didn't, wasn't really aware of her until she was a woman truly grown, you know, 26, 27 years old. I, um, I meant, I meant it more from oh, the, the character's point of view, you know, not from right. the dad's point of view, you know, right. for the betrayal of a friendship and, you know. Well, it, the most interesting thing about the book to me is the way men feel about things versus the way women feel mm. about things. And because her father does not get, and neither does her husband, to be fair, though he's a sweet fellow, he's, well, live and let live, move mm-hmm. on, you know, let's yep. go have lunch. Yep. And Frankie, the main character, is absolutely distraught. Her father has no idea why and pays barely pays lip service to it when it seems that with a little bit of we hear all the in the in fiction of a few years ago the the trope was forgiveness now it's empathy <laughs> and with a little empathy these people might not have had to have such a cataclysm as they did have mm-hmm. but nobody was listening to anybody else I think that is the truest thing that we can possibly say about families even good ones nobody's listening yeah I feel like there was a lot of regret that Frankie didn't take more time coming home. There was a lot of like, well, I was busy, but was I so busy? Was I really that busy that I couldn't call more? Like, did did people not tell me things or was I just not available? Like, I feel like that that's the constant dialogue for any grown-up, honestly. It's like, am I calling home enough? Is there enough connection? What should I be doing? you know, are people moving on without me or have I opted out of this? You know, it applies to family. It applies to, you know, groups of friends from high school or whatever it is, right? How do you know if you've been excluded or if you excluded yourself? You don't know. And it is, that's another thing where men and women differ. If you think of a man in your life, if I think of my husband and I say, who's your best friend? Okay. And he'll say, oh, Paul, when was the last time you talked to Paul? Oh, must be six or seven years now. And to, to a woman, that's inconceivable. Mm-hmm. It just, to, to us, friendships and relationships need watering and care mm. and, and attention. And men just sort of walk back into them as if it was yesterday. And I guess that's because other men are doing the same thing. The person who is the friend is doing the same thing. But I know that in my friendships, if I neglect them, I'm going to find out about it Mm. one way or another. Interesting. And friendship is, I think Frankie says something about this in the book, in its own way, it is even more fragile and to be cherished than family relationships because you can't divorce your sister. You know, mm-hmm. you can in an extreme circumstance. But these are chosen relationships that you want to last for a lifetime. And Frankie and Ariel's relationship had persisted since they were 10 years old for 17 years by the time this began to happen. Mm, amazing. So what number book is this? This is 
it's 24 counting every, all of them. But some of those are children's books and young adult books, which take maybe even more uh, concentration because you have such a little space to do all the things that you want to do. And with novels, you can be discursive. I'm, I have this one coming out in November. I'm at work on another one. It's truly spicy, Zibby. This one coming up. This one is a, based on the first criminal case I covered when I was a baby reporter back in the 80s about a a young woman who, how shall I say this, a call girl who was accused of murdering her two most devoted clients. Not one, but two. And she was a enigmatic figure. Uh, extraordinarily intelligent, a scholarship student who in biology and chemistry with only straight A's. And she gave that up to become a hooker and then an accused murderer. But of course, there's a story behind the story and underneath it and, you know, everything. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. Do you ever get tired of writing? Do you ever say, or is it something that gets you out of bed every morning? I'm always tired of writing and I'll <laughs> always do it. I think it's so, 
you know, you've had many people on these, your show who say, I just, I'm happiest and it's so fulfilling. And to me, it is absolute misery. <laughs> All the time. It's misery. And I'm constantly fiddling with, I'm, I'm very, I don't know what I want to say, OCD, perhaps about my writing in that I, I won't let myself write to the second sentence until the sentence before it is perfect. And so I'm fiddling with things constantly and editing things constantly. And sometimes I feel that by the time I complete a manuscript, it has so many fingerprints all over it, though it doesn't, of course, because it's in the computer, <laughs> it, that you could, it's practically illegible. And I think about people like Charlotte Bronte, who only got to write it once. And it was that good. Yeah. So, yes, I love it and hate it as you do most of the things in your life that are most satisfying, like being a parent, you know, oh, you know, oh, it's so difficult. And sometimes you think you just want to go and put your head under the faucet. And then other times you cannot imagine living without this most the best rodeo in life. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> It is this strange dichotomy of difficulty and not. I feel like if I were to spend every sentence, I would never get anything done. Like, and Charlotte Bronte, maybe she had she took all this time in her head. Like, I feel like we're all so quick because we can, right? We can put it down, and then we know we can delete it and rewrite it and whatever. So there's like, there's nothing that makes us stop and evaluate it in our heads. Whereas maybe before she was editing it, it was just in her head and not on the page. Who knows? You know, writers who write in longhand. That's true. You know, writers yeah. who still use a typewriter. Mm -hmm. I cannot, I mean, to me, that would be like hitting yourself in the face with a belt as often as you could, because to me, the computer is an extension. The laptop is an extension of my brain mm -hmm. and being able to move scenes around uh, within a story is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever enjoyed as a writer, certainly. But still with all that, there are still things that I think when I give my book to my agent, I've done the best job that I could do, maybe the best job anyone has ever done <laughs> in writing a book. And I say, here it is. And, and then he reminds me that there's no reason for this guy to be a priest. Why would she go and see her sister at that point? This is absolutely ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And so I fix everything after crying. I fix everything <laughs> that he wants me to fix. And then he gives it to the publisher and she says, obviously, this guy should be a priest. <laughs> and <laughs> so, you know, you can't, you, you have to please yourself. But people say they write for themselves and I don't. I really write for that person out there, that person who can't sleep at night because she wants to finish the next chapter. So she's sitting in the bathtub with no water in it <laughs> and, and she's got a light on that won't wake anybody else up. And she's reading that book. And to me, that is the person, you know, this is, I live in Massachusetts about just a couple hours down the road from Emily Dickinson. She doesn't live there anymore. I think she does. And, you know, this is my letter to the world that never wrote to me. This is my form of taking someone's hand in the darkness. Oh, 
That is beautiful. Spoken like a true writer. Look at that. (laughs) No need to edit it or anything. (laughs) Are there books that you've read recently or in the past that are those bathtub books for you? Oh, absolutely. I was mesmerized and and upset with her, by the way, with Elizabeth Strout for writing her trilogy, her seaside trilogy, Lucy by the Sea and My Name is Lucy Barton, that they were so short. Mm. And you would read them in one night and then it was over. Anything Ann Patchett writes, I will be there to read. I I love mystery stories. I love anything crime stories that Gillian Flynn or or folks like that write. I love the mathematical sort of riddle that comprises a mystery story. And I also love to know what human beings are capable of doing to each other because there's never a limit. There's never a limit on the way people will behave badly if they have a motive and if they're given the chance. Hmm. And recently I've been reading books by, I can't pronounce her last name, Mona Awad. Mm-hmm. Recently, I've been reading through her things. Everything Jean Hanf Corlitz writes, I mm-hmm. love. I have certainly have no shortage of books to read by people that I can then be jealous of <laughs> and force myself to not lift passages from their books. Uh, my favorite book of recent years is called Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you read it? I read part of it. But I did. It won the National Book Award when she was 33. I wrote to her and said, I just want to get you alone so I can slap you (laughs) for being 33 and winning the National Book Award with your first book. Thank you very much. (laughs) And, but it is bewitching. Says the Oprah's book club pick, by the way. Oh, wow. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Talk about slapping people. But anyway, (laughs) she was, her book was magnificent. I've read it a couple of times. I've read the ending countless times, read it to my students. Every time I read it, I start to cry. Hmm. It doesn't, the effect of it is so profound. It is the most, I think, for your listeners, the most profound ending of a book that I've ever experienced because it's so finely plotted. It almost didn't happen Wow, the way that... It did. And it's just wonderful. Oh my gosh. That is a huge endorsement. I am now going to go back and read that. I feel like I did a quick interview with her for something else, but it wasn't for this, maybe for the New York Public Library or something, or I don't know. Now I have to go back. Or maybe I did. She's a lovely I'm losing person. My mind. I'm literally losing my mind. But anyway. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I will go back and read it. <laughs> what do you like to do when you're not wringing your hands at the keyboard and all of that? I don't have hobbies. I just, I have a big family, you know, that I have still have some responsibilities with kids at home. My last kid is in high school and a number of them are in college. And so I have things to do. I want to say I'm not an avid cook, but it's necessary for me to cook because you're not going to go out and buy prepared food for six people, right? So I'm a very good Italian cook. And I used to do all kinds of things like make my own pasta sauce and things like that. But pretty much right now, my only hobby is reading. And I read a couple of books every week, maybe three books a week. And so I read and I write. 
And sometimes, sometimes I watch a movie. It is a really exciting life. <laughs> it's filled with glamour and, and pink champagne. Now, I don't do anything. And I don't have any vices, nor do I have too many virtues. <laughs> I just, that's all I do. All my friends, they quilt, they, they're, they paint, they travel, they do all kinds of curated things, and I don't do any. I mean, you're doing a lot. It, you're doing well, a lot. And by the way, even though it, when we're reading, I mean, this sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but I do feel like you can have a very glamorous life when you go to all the places in your books. I mean, <laughs> you're not just sitting still when you're reading. I mean, I know you physically are, but it's like you go to all these places and you're experiencing all these things and people's emotions and it's like conversations you're having, but you're not actually having. So I don't know. I don't I don't view reading as any sort of passive activity. I feel like you're actively engaged. Now, and, you know, brain science bears that out. I have a great friend who is a novelist also called Lisa Genova. She wrote Still Alice and other Oh, books. my gosh. Yes. And wow. she points out that when you are reading, you're engaging your emotions, your lower brain, your upper brain, and you're, so you're, at, uh, that's why you experience change, personality mm -hmm. change when you read a book, because you're actively entering the world of another, mm -hmm. learning the way people react and, and prosecute their lives in that setting. And it's fascinating and it can't help but have an effect on you as a reader. Yeah. So no, I don't think of it as passive at all. It's just, it's just unremarkable. I would love to be able to say that I'm a competitive crew member of a, a rowing crew or something like that, but I would be the anchor on the on the crew. I don't do anything. Okay. Well, I beg to differ. You do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Be patient with your story. It's all, if you have had, unless you are writing something that someone else told you to write, and don't do that. People are always saying to other people, oh, that's such a, that incident that happened to your grandmother in the 1930s, that should be a book. But books have to have a great deal of, they have to have a deep basement. They have to have lots of moving parts that come up from the basement and change the story, change the basic story. That's why there's an A plot and a B plot and a C plot. So be patient with your story until you know that it's cooked enough to actually really be a book. You were saying earlier about how you some people work out their writing of a story as they write draft after draft. But for me, when I'm making that spaghetti sauce, I'm also making that book. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this could happen and that could happen. What could she do when she works at the strip club and not be a stripper? Oh, she could be a bartender. And I'm thinking and thinking about it, this. It starts out as one little shoot coming out of the ground and then it gradually becomes fenestrated and it becomes a tree. And because you add those elements to it that make it fully fledged. And I think sometimes... The desire to write a story is so strong that people sometimes rush into it and rush through it as a writer before it is really ready to be presented to the world. And then 
that way lies disappointment Mm. because when they may have a brilliant concept, but when they go to see whether that can be traditionally published, the answer sometimes is this isn't really there yet. And that's very discouraging. Mm-hmm. So I would I would counsel people to be patient with your writing, be patient with your story, and let other people read it before you, if you're going to let the world read it, it's okay if mm-hmm. great friends of yours read it or a writing partner reads it before you decide that it's ready to hand off to an agent because there are always things that are missing. And so I end the obvious thing. I think if you, so many people who are writers say to me, who has time to read? You have to. To me, that's like saying, who has time to brush your teeth? (laughs) And no, your brain will fall out if you don't read, just like your teeth will fall out if you don't brush them. It, it, you have no business trying to write a story for other people if you're not consuming literature of all kinds with uh, with a great ferociousness. I love that. Amazing. Well, I hope many people will ferociously be consuming a very inconvenient oh, I scandal. I so too. And thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for having me, Sibby. Take care. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. You also. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 